with the sweep and fury of the resurrection, there's a new world a-coming. Today and every Sunday at this hour, WMCA, in cooperation with the Citywide Citizens Committee on Harlem, brings you a series of vivid programs on Negro life based on the theme of Roy Otley's book, New World A-Coming. Today's program, written, produced, and directed by Mitchell Grayson, presents the dramatic story of the American Negro Theater, featuring the players of Anna LaCosta and Walk Hard, portraying their own roles in the establishment of the first successful Negro Theater in America. A few days ago, a young woman reporter was led across the stage of the Mansfield Theater after a matinee performance of the Broadway hit, Anna Lucasta. Two flights up the concrete stairway, she pauses in front of a dressing room marked number four. She looks at her watch. It's 5.13 p.m. Then she knocks on the door. Yes? Mr. O'Neill, may I come in? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just taking my makeup off. My name's Grace Thompson. I'm a feature writer for the Digest magazine. Well, come in. I've been expecting you, Miss Thompson. Thank you. <clears throat> Did you have any trouble getting backstage? No, the doorman was very sweet. He took me clear across the stage. You know, it was the first time I've ever walked on a Broadway stage in my life. <laughs> well, well, frankly, Miss Thompson, Anna LaCasse is the first time I've ever been on a Broadway stage myself. Well, really? Yeah. Watching you in the show, I thought you were a seasoned veteran. <laughs> Thank you. But my experience has only been in little theaters, semi-professional groups, and a few professional jobs here and there. This was somewhat of a lucky break for me, getting this part in Anna. Well, that's what I want to find out. I'd really like to write a good story, an unusual one, about the play and all the people in it. Oh, uh, have you seen Hilda Sims yet? My appointment with her is at 5.30, in about 15 minutes. Come in. There's some clean shirts for you, Fred. Uh, use the blue one in Act One, and the white one in the wedding scene. Oh, thank you, Charles. Oh, and another thing. Uh, there'll be a company rehearsal tomorrow at 2. Mr. Gribble wants to straighten out a few lines. Okay, I'll be there. Okay. Sorry for interrupting you. See you later. So long, Charles. Now, let's see. How can I help you, Miss Thompson? Well, by telling me some interesting stories. Stories about yourself, about the play, about your plans for the future, all that. You just talk and I'll listen. Well, uh, suppose you ask me some questions because, <laughs> well, there's so many stories to tell, I wouldn't know where to begin. Well, first... How did Anna Lucasta happen? Anna, let's see now. Well, that takes us back to the very beginning, I suppose, to the start of the American Negro Theater. And when was that? That was in the late spring of 1940, I believe. Yes. And you, Abe Hill and my, why, we were the co-founders of the theater. We had long talks over coffee cups in Harlem cafeterias and late into the night sometimes. We had the idea then about the kind of the theater we wanted. It was, um... A theater to do plays that would deal with vital issues and democratic ideals. To give the people entertainment and honest plays, we wanted to create the opportunity to show Negro life as it really exists and to overcome the usual lazy, comical, superstitious Hollywood characters that uh, Hollywood had uh, <clears throat> versions they had about us, you know. So one night we called a meeting of six young Negro actors at Abe's home and we explained what we wanted to do. Well, that's a great idea for a Negro theater, Fred, but, but how do we know we won't fail like all the other little theaters before us? We're not going to fail, yeah. Ken. All of us here have had quite a bit of experience in the theater, and surely we're not going to make the same mistakes. 
Now, everyone in the group will work for the theater and not for themselves as individuals. How do you mean that? Well, it will be a democratically run organization. We won't have any arguments between personalities. If there are any differences, well, we'll just, well, we'll talk it over. But look, Abe, you, you know, most of us have jobs during the day, and, and how can we work in the theater at night? It, it, well, we'll keep our jobs and work at night. And I know that means long hours, but if we are really and sincerely interested in perfecting ourselves as actors, directors, technicians, writers, then we'll do it. Yeah, but it takes money to sort a theater, eh? I know that. And I was coming to that point shortly. Since you mention it, though, I'll say this. We need a few hundred dollars to start this Stop. Oh. Stop. Well, where are we going to get it? No one on the outside is going to give it to us. We'll have to raise it ourselves. You mean yeah. put our own money into it? Exactly. If we ourselves are serious about this theater, then we ought to put everything we have into it. It's the only practical way to get started. Well, I'm willing, if everybody else is. Okay, let's empty our pockets. Well, there's a plate on the table. Let's put it all in there. Here's well, mine. Uh, I don't get paid until the last part of next week. Oh, my goodness. This is all I've got. Well, how about you, Abe? Mine's in there. Well, I... Well, what, say, what about the rest of you? Well, I'm broke, fellas. I haven't got a penny. Mm -hmm, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's all. Well, let's, let's count it, folks. Let's see. Uh, eight of us here. Between us, all we have to start our theater is six cents. <laughs> you know, looking back over that makes me laugh all over again, Miss Thompson. Six cents was all we had in that whole room full of eight people. Do you know what we did with that money? No. I can't imagine what anyone would do with only six cents. Oh, well, about the only thing we could do. We bought six postcards. We sent them to the friends who we'd spoken to previously. They'd had some experience in the theater. And we asked them out to our first meeting. That was on June 5th, 1940, the 135th Street Branch Library. And did they come? Yes. 23 people came. Wow. And with the eight of us who started the theater, there were 31 altogether. And today, four years later, about 70% are still members of the ANT. Well, that's an amazing record for a little theater group, isn't it? Well, we think so. And we've made other records, too. Like what? Well, we've never failed to give a scheduled performance. And that's quite significant because many professional Broadway companies have postponed performances. Either a star becomes ill or accident occurs here and there. But not the ANT. Is that it? That's it. We're proud of it. Well, that's fine. But you still haven't told me anything about your Broadway experience with Anna Lucasta. Oh, see, uh, what time is it? <gasps> oh, 5.30. I'm supposed to meet Miss Sims now. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Well, I'll take you downstairs to her dressing room. It's only one flight below. Good. Now watch yourself on those steps. I'll be careful. Lead the way. Walking backstage at the Mansfield Theater is quite an experience for me. Uh, here's Hilda's room here. <clears throat> Come in. Fred, Hilda. I have Miss Thompson with me from the Digest. Oh, hello, Miss Thompson. Won't you come in? Well, thank you very much. Well, i got to leave you now, so I'll be saying goodbye. Do you have to go, Fred? Yes, we're having a discussion of our production of Walk Hard uptown. I'll just about be able to make it and get back in time for the evening show. Well, bye, Miss Thompson. So long, Hilda. Goodbye, goodbye and Fred. thank you. Oh, my gracious, Miss Sims. Your dressing room is certainly crowded with photographs. Most of them are actors. I like autograph pictures, don't you? Have you met all these people? Yes, I meet them every night in the week and twice on Wednesdays and Saturdays. They're all members of this cast. Oh, <laughs> I didn't recognize them. They look so different on stage. 
Uh, tell me, uh, how did you get the leading part of Anna Lucasta? Well, that's not much of a story. I read for the part, and then it was given to me. Just like that? Well, there's a little more to it than that, I suppose. I guess it all goes back to the very first night I came to the American Negro Theater. Tell me about that, please, won't you? Well, as you know, Miss Thompson, there aren't very many parts for Negro actors or actresses on Broadway. If you're colored, getting a job on Broadway is not only difficult, but it practically doesn't exist. Oh, there are a few parts around here and there, I guess, as maids, and that's about all. Well, come to think of it, the only other Negro show on Broadway is Carmen Jones. <laughs> and I can't sing. Oh. <laughs> At college, I played in a few stock productions, but when I came to New York, I couldn't get a job on Broadway. Yet I did want to work in the theater, and the only theater that was open to me was the American Negro Theater in the basement of the 135th Street Library. So you applied there for membership, is that it? Well, it didn't happen exactly that way. I had heard about the theater, and one night I walked in while they were rehearsing Three's a Family. I took a seat quietly in the back row and watched for a while. You can't do this to me. Do this to you. Do you know what you do to me? All right, everybody. What's the matter, Abe? What happened? Nothing. Yeah, just a bit part in this scene that's still not cast. We need another actor. Well, there's nobody else here. Hey, uh, who is that sitting back there in the last row? I don't know. Uh, somebody new, I guess. Uh, will you come up here, miss? Uh, yes, sir. Can you read? Well, I... Uh, well, I, I think now, I yeah, can. Yeah, take this script and get on the stage. Now, don't act, just read it's a part of Marion Franklin. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. We'll go ahead now. Continue the action where we left off. Oh, I read the part of Marion Franklin just as Mr. Hill, the director, told me. I wasn't particularly good that night, but it was a bit part that was given to me. That's how I became a member of the studio group. But later I was admitted to the probationary group. Is there a difference in the group? Well, the studio group is the proving ground for new members. You know, a springboard. They have an opportunity to uh, adjust themselves, to show whether or not they wish to become a member of the theater. And then do they graduate to the probationary group? Yes. But the point is, Miss Thompson, about 85% of the studio group drop out because they're not serious about their work or the aims of the theater. Then only the serious ones remain behind to carry on the work. Yes. And after one full year, they're eligible for, good, for group membership. That sounds like a marvelous theater group. It is. And the students and members of the theater are devoted to it. Why, do you know that the American Negro Theater has even changed the lives of some of the people who've worked there? Why, how? Well, I know of one boy. Fred O'Neill told me about him. I won't mention his name. We'll simply call him Joe. He was a very quiet, soft-voiced individual. You know, he worked backstage on the lights and operating the electrical switchboard. One particular night, after a very late rehearsal, he began talking to Fred. Hey, you're okay, Fred. Thanks. You okay yourself, Joe? Well, not like you. What do you mean? You're carrying the whole theater on your shoulders. You and Abe, that's a big job. No, no, we're not doing it alone. There are a lot of people in this organization, Joe. You're helping, too. Don't forget that. Hey, uh... You got time, Fred? Yes, why? I want to tell you something. It's about me. Okay, go ahead, shoot. You don't know anything about me, do you? Well, no, not very much, except that, well, you're a very valuable man to have around the theater. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I used to do before I came to New York a few months ago? I have an idea. I came from Cleveland. My family lived there. Oh, I knew that. But do you know what kind of work I used to do? 
Well, let's see. I guess it was some kind of electrical work. Yeah, it had something to do with electricity. Engineer? No. Gambling. Gambling? Pinball machines. I worked for a mob of gangsters in Cleveland. Boy, they just as soon shoot your head off as say good morning to you. I had a regular route, and I used to go about every week and collect nickels and turn over big sackfuls of them to the top guys. I made 125 bucks a week. Mm, what happened? Did you get caught? No. My mother got worried about me, so I quit for her sake. Then we came to New York. Well, how did you happen to get interested in working on the lights backstage? Oh, I knew something about repairing those pinball machines. <laughs> <laughs> They're run by electricity. I see. You think you'll ever go back there? For that job? Yeah. Oh, I could if I wanted to. Well, a hundred to a hundred and a quarter, that's a good money. You're not making that much in New York. No. But I'm a lot happier here. That's what I wanted to tell you, Fred. It's this theater that's changed me. Come on, let me buy you a cup of coffee, huh? <laughs> Imagine, a boy like that being rescued from a criminal environment and adjusting himself into a well-balanced life for the future. The American Negro Theater did that. Isn't that something? Where is he now? Where are all the healthy young men today? In the service? Yes, overseas. In a med- he's in the medical uh, unit in the South Pacific. He writes to everybody at the theater all the time, and we send him all the news of what we're doing. It's remarkable. Hello. Oh, Hold that, up. oh, that's Canada. Canada Lee. Yes. Come on in, Canada, and meet a reporter from the Digest magazine. How do you do? Grace Thompson's my name. Oh, yes, Miss Thompson, of course. I'm gathering material for a story about Anna Lucasta. But so far, I'm getting a volume on the American Negro Theater. That's a great outfit. Now, what do you think of it, Miss Thompson? It's amazing. It's done a lot of wonderful things for a great many young people. Why are you in the show, Mr. Lee? You're not being starred. Well, the American Negro Theater is the star of this show, and that's as it should be. But you're not a member of the probationary and the studio and the regular group, are you? Well, who told you about that? <laughs> Miss Sims. No, I'm not. But I'm very happy to take a small role in this play. By the way, have you seen the new A&T show uptown? Walk hard? No, I haven't. There's some very good things in it. Good group, good ideas. You know, the way those young people really battled it out uptown, they're terrific. They made all kinds of sacrifices to keep that theater going. Well, I see you're not going to talk about Anna Lucasta either. Did Hilda tell you about the case of the broken records? What's that, a new detective story? I know, it's a, it's a story of a girl's sacrifice to keep a theater going. Now, Fred O'Neill's the one who tells this story. It's about the early days of the theater when they had no money and when every day a new crisis developed. And this girl's name was Georgia Wilson. And she was property man for the first full-length production uptown. Driver's Row. Fred. What is it, Georgie? Take a look at those broken records, will you? Well, when did it happen? Just now. They fell off the shelf. Well, what are we going to do, Georgie? We need them for tonight's show. Oh, I don't know, Fred. I guess we'll have to buy a whole set of new ones, or else the play won't have the right sound effect. New ones? Do you know how much money there is in the treasure? Uh-uh. Nothing. Not a dime. Oh. In fact, we owe everybody. Gosh, we always have problems. Problems, always problems. You got any idea where we can get a duplicate set of sound records for tonight? Yeah, I know a place that's still open. I I think we can get them for about $6. Yeah, but where are we going to get $6? Yeah, that's a question. We put everything we got into this show. Everybody here is broke. Maybe I can do something and, and get the money. What? This ring. This ring I'm wearing. What? It's an antique, Fred. Well, what about it? 
Well, it was my grandmother's, and she gave it to my mother for a wedding present, and my mother gave it to me. The pawn shops don't close till 6 o'clock, do they? There's still time, Fred. I... What, you, you gonna pawn it? We need sound records, don't we? Yeah, listen, but, Georgia, you shouldn't do that. You've done enough already. If we don't get those records, Fred, we can't give a performance tonight, and the theater will get a bad name. Oh, but, Georgia... No, I won't have any more nonsense from you, Fred. I just won't have the theater get a bad name. But you don't have to do that, Georgia. I know, I know I don't have to do it. But I want to do it. Wait a minute, Georgia. Where are you going? I told you. We need sound records, don't we? And I'm going to get them. Please. Well, that's the case of the broken records. Now, the point of the story is not that a ring was pawned to the theater, but that, in every, but, but that in every crisis, the theater came first. And that's the way the young people there have built it. Well, with such devotion, the theater will probably continue forever. It probably will. I'd like to visit the place. You would? Well, I say, we're driving up in a minute. As soon as you're finished here, you're welcome to come along with us. Oh, may I? We'd love to have you. You'll enjoy seeing it. It holds only about 200 seats. Got a small stage and a few lights and some curtains and a tiny switchboard. All left there by the WPA when it closed down. What are they doing there this afternoon? Well, they're discussing their future plans. Members of the theater and people of the community are invited. Well, that's unusual. It's very democratic, but that's the American Negro Theater. already started. Let's sit in the back of the theater. Uh, who's that speaking now? That's Abe Hill, author of Walk Hard and the director of the theater. Let's listen. Four years ago. We've come a long way since then. The critics have seen our plays and bedecked us with praise. But our group will not lie back and rest on those laurels. We will continue striving to be dignified, mature place for Negro actors, playwrights, directors, and technicians in the nation's theater. We shall do more and more plays which will help to create better relations and understanding between Negroes and whites. We must seek to bury forever the false Broadway and Hollywood conception of the Negro only as a domestic servant or a lazy buffoon or a spiritual singer. In the everyday lives of our people, there's a rich emotional depth which deserves serious study by those who have presented Negroes only as misfits of society. Subjects for future plays should show the Negro and his family life, his place in the social structure, his relation to the white world and the democracy that both white and black are striving for. This is our mission, and we are determined to keep plugging away at it. We know that in the past, commercial theaters have done more to drive the Negro out of the theater, both audience and performer, than to bring them in. We hope to revise this trend, bring the Negro audience and talent back to the theater by winning for the Negro his rightful, dignified place in the American theatrical world. The floor is now open for discussion. How did you like Mr. Hill's speech, Miss Thompson? I thought it was very much to the point. As a matter of fact, I thought it was excellent. You know, 
When I came backstage to see you today, I thought I was going to write a piece on Anna Lukashka. And now? And now I realize there's a much bigger story than Anna Lukashka. It's the story of the American Negro Theater. That's the one for me. You've been listening to the story of the American Negro Theater, featuring the players in Anna Lucasta and Walk Hard, portraying their own roles in the establishment of the first successful Negro Theater in America. Featured on today's broadcast were Hilda Sims and Frederick O'Neill. Other members of the cast were Ruby Dee, Alvin Childers, Earl Hyman, Lorene Scott, and Charles Perry. Today's program was written, directed, and produced by Mitchell Grayson. Music by James Lozito was conducted by Jerry Sears. Theme music composed especially for this program by Duke Ellington. New World of Coming is based on the theme of Roy Otley's book by the same name. Next week, the dramatic story of the Negro in the National Maritime Union, which incidentally will be witnessed by 300 Negro and white merchant seamen recently returned from various theaters of war and temporarily in New York before shipping out again to the war fronts. If you'd like to attend a broadcast of New World A-Coming, you may obtain tickets by writing to WMCA, 1657 Broadway, New York, 19 New York, and the tickets will be forwarded to you at once. Ladies and gentlemen, the stars and stripes have been hauled down on American soil and the rising sun run up. Yes, the Japanese have had things pretty much their own way up to now. But right now, during America's sixth war loan drive, let's see that we turn the tables on the Japanese. Let's all of us give them the works. Let's move men and ships, guns and planes over there in an avenging flood. Let's wind up this Japanese business once and for all. You and I know that that means every one of us must buy that extra $100 war bond during the sixth war loan. So let's go. The more bonds, the shorter the war.
is America's leading independent station.